Wait until you hear what today's guest has to say about the Seattle Seahawks head coaching search. Hondo Carpenter covers the Raiders for Raiders Today, longtime beat writer, award-winning journalist, member of the Pro Football Writers Association. Hondo came on today specifically to talk about defensive coordinator Patrick Graham and what appears to be a very strong case that he's making as a finalist for the Seahawks job. But he also had some insight on two other big-name candidates in this search or potentially in this search that you do not want to miss. So much good stuff to get to today on the show from an NFL insider on who might succeed Pete Carroll in Seattle today on Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, in-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now here's your host, Dan Viennes. There are so many nuggets to take away from the conversation that I had this morning with Hondo Carpenter, and I apologize to those of you that I promised would be a second show forthcoming yesterday about this, uh, but once I talked to, to Hondo on the phone last night and learned what he learned, uh, I wanted to give it its due time and get him on today, Tuesday, the 23rd. Uh, before we get into this conversation, hit that like button, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you would, hit that bell notification or that bell button so that you always know when there are new episodes, uh, especially during this crucial time as the Seahawks try to find Pete Carroll's replacement. Also, if you uh, prefer audio podcasts, you can listen on any platform that you prefer. Be sure to subscribe there for the same reasons. And if you want to hear episodes without ads, you can subscribe on Spotify for as little as 99 cents a month. And if you want to support me and you like what I do on the show, you can buy me a coffee or a beer at the link in the description. I don't want to waste any time. I want to get into this, but I just want to do this. I know some of you don't like when I tease things. Um, I start off by asking Hondo uh, sort of his global uh, viewpoint from afar as someone who isn't tied emotionally to the Seahawks of what he felt, um, what, do you, what his thoughts were on the decision to fire Pete Carroll and you might be a little stunned by his answer and then we get into Patrick Graham everything about him you're going to know so much about him as a candidate coming out of this interview but stick around till the end because he had he had some insight that came directly from some front office executives around the league that he polled about what they felt like was going on here in Seattle and one name that's been bandied about, but has yet to be officially interviewed, um, Hondo offered up as a very, very strong possibility to land here in Seattle. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation, uh, and then we'll wrap things up at the end. This is Hondo Carpenter speaking to me earlier this morning. All right, Hondo, thank you so much for taking the time out of what should be a busy day for you down there in Las Vegas. Um I want to talk about Patrick Graham, but before we do that, because you have some very interesting insight into what may be brewing as a situation there, I just want to get your take, first of all, from someone who doesn't cover the Seahawks, who isn't emotionally involved from outside, from elsewhere in the league. What was your impression when the Seahawks made the decision to move on from Pete Carroll after 14 years? I thought it was a dumb move. Hmm. I think, you know, he is a genie in a bottle. He's a unicorn. He's one of the greatest football coaches to ever coach. Um, when you look at the job that he did this year, I mean, everyone, a lot of people thought this was going to be a rebuilding job, but they yeah. built expectations because it's Pete Carroll at the helm. Um, I know guys on that team. I know people within the organization. Um, I think it was a 
a pissing contest of, of who wants to, I'm going to, I want to be the boss and put my stamp on the team. And um, I thought it was a very disappointing move. And I, I'm not a friend of Pete's. You asked me my opinion of what I thought. I, I, I just was disappointing. I, I think Seattle is a great franchise. I mean, clearly their fan base is terrific. This is a fan, you know, a, an organization you expect to always be competitive and you go and just throw that guy away. Granted, I understand there's been some lean years, but there's also been a lot of good years. And it's amazing. Sometimes you bring in people in the organizations on third base and they think they hit a triple. Yeah. And uh, I, I think it was arrogance. Hmm. And I think that uh, there needs to be a clear understanding, whoever you bring in next, if this organization goes backwards, you're fired because you took us backwards. And uh, I, I, the, the movie, and, and I'm in this every day. I mean, I'm, uh, this is what I do for a living. I'm yeah. an NFL reporter. Um, I was stunned to have Pete out there talking about how excited he was to be back. Then boom, he's canned. Just, just, it was a, it was a, here's the whole deal. There are some organizations that you expect stupidity from. There are some organizations that you expect things to be classless from. You don't feel that way about the Seattle Seahawks. That is an organization that you always have an expectation of, you know, they're, they're going to be run well. They're going to be solid. You know, are they going to win the Super Bowl every year? Nope, but they're always going to be competitive. They're going to do things the right way. You know, when players leave, they don't leave hating the organization. Yeah. You know, they maybe they're maybe they're disappointed with the time frame of when they left, but but they to do that to me, I just it was just it was a disappointing. I'm not a Seattle Seahawk fan, but it was disappointing for me as a person that respects the organization. It's an interesting uh, opinion from someone who isn't close to it. And it, and it's, it's one of the reasons that you touched on it. It's a very polarizing move here and it's still, still hard to get used to, you know, he's just been a fixture around here for so long. There are fans who believe ride or die with Pete Carroll, that he should have been given the opportunity to move on whenever he wanted to. However, in long in the future, that would have been, and there are others who were ready to move on from him five years ago. Right. And that's, that's the case with any fan base in any coaching situation. Most likely if, if fans get used to, they get used to winning and their expectations change. You know, one thing I think you just made up a great point, And that's why you have a good podcast is thank you. Is you, you, you think, and you think outside the box, you know, you're always going to have an element. Let me give you a quick example. Mm -hmm. I met a guy earlier this year in, on Christmas Day. The Raiders played um, in Kansas City and beat the Raiders and beat the Chiefs. And the, this guy is emotionally distraught. And he's, I'm going to guess he's 18, 19 years old. And I looked at him, he goes, we don't do this. We don't lose to the Raiders. <laughs> I mean, the guy's crying, grown man yeah. crying. And he's there, he's working yeah. as a vendor. And I looked over and there's another older man, probably in his eighties, sitting in a chair. He's a security guard. And the guy walks by and he goes, these kids, they have no <laughs> idea what this franchise was like before Andy Reid got here. Yeah. And I go, yeah, you're right. I think you got a lot of people there who came in and came into the organization um, after Pete was already there when they were winning. And then they thought, oh, the organization, I'm part of this organization. This organization is winning because of, you know, I'm here. And they forgot what it was like before Pete got there, number one. And then number two, you know, I, I have a very good friend 
who married right out of high school, his high school sweetheart. And today he's extremely wealthy, very, very, very wealthy. And we were sitting on his private plane once talking and he was laughing about all the people that said to him, are you going to get rid of your wife now that you're very, very wealthy and get a younger model? And he looked at him and he's like, that woman loved me when I had nothing. Hmm. He goes, don't you understand loyalty? Yeah. You know, to me, have they done a lot in the last five years that um, should have Seattle Seahawks? Woo, happy? No, you're an organization right. that happiness is playoff success. Did that? Did they make a mistake with Marson Lynch in the Super Bowl? Yep, and I called them out for it. But this man brought loyalty, he character, stability to your franchise. For anyone saying, "Well, how much longer is he going to be here?" Look at his age, moron. I mean, to me, I just think, and I'm going to tell you this, I was talking to a player on your team who I know really well that said to me, is that how they're going to treat all of us? I guess it is just a business. Hmm. Let me tell you, that's a player. You don't want thinking about it as a business. You want it thinking as him, himself, as I'm a Seahawk. You, 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 you made a statement to your locker room and yep. You appeased some of your critics sure did. But, uh, Whoever made that final decision, your head's on the chopping block too if it doesn't go the way you think it is because you inherited a job where they were on third base and you're the one that thinks you hit a triple. Well, and that's where we're at now is there's so many unknowns for us here and, and uncharted territory. We we don't know or we didn't know up until two weeks ago how Jody Allen would be as an owner. I, I said myself there was a point in November where I was I was frustrated and and I gave my opinion, which was I I felt like it was uh it was legitimate to question whether it was time for a change, that that maybe the league had passed Pete Carroll, at least as far as his defensive acumen goes by. But it, what what many fans don't understand, the ones that have just been pining for change the last couple of years is you never know what you're gonna get. And but what's behind door number two isn't always isn't always a success. We didn't know. I didn't think Jody Allen would make the move now. I thought Pete would get at least one more year, be able to finish out his contract. We also don't know how John Schneider is going to act now that he has full control of the coaching staff and the roster and has this decision to make. He's never had to make this decision before. And so this coaching process has been interesting to watch. And one of the names that appeared almost immediately on the first round of requests that went out for interviews that caught my eye and, and raised my eyebrow was Patrick Graham. He was a guy that I'd heard the name, but I didn't know a lot about him and was hadn't heard him being mentioned as, as a hot coaching candidate, the defensive coordinator with the Raiders who did such good work, especially this year, especially after the change with Mike McDan or Josh McDaniels being let go. You have some particular insight into his candidacy and in fact, you knew maybe before the rest of us that he was going to be involved in this. Tell us what you know about that. Yeah. Now, everything I'm about to tell you, this is what I love about the digital age is time stamped. Your people can go back and, and, and mm -hmm. read it or watch it, either one. But I was told by someone who's connected to your organization before Pete had even been fired. Um, they wanted to know everything that I thought about Patrick we had about an hour and a half conversation and they were vigorously taking notes. And, um, I said to them, you know, are you guys actually, cause I agree defensively, the Seahawks had struggled and I could have seen the Seahawks going saying, Pete, listen, 
We want you to finish your contract. We, we want you with all that you've done for us, you've earned the right to go out on your own, but can we look at the defensive side of the football? Can we look at maybe doing some upgrades to me? That's the way you handle it. Yeah. Or you go, you know, if, if you're married to Quinn, you go get Quinn, make him a coach in waiting, whatever. So, um, this person said, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced there's going to be a change. And um, Patrick just is super appealing on a lot of different levels. And we talked about those levels and things about him. One thing I can tell you, and I've done this for decades, is that a lot of times when a coaching change is made and it's not a retirement out of success, teams We'll go the other direction. Okay, we're an offensive-minded, but, man, we're struggling defensively. We need a defensive coach, Mm -hmm. and they'll go to the other extreme. Then, oh, wait, we're doing really good defensively, but our offense stinks. We need to go with an offensive coach. So that is what I originally thought. But I And so I, on my podcast and in my writings, begin to report that there were several teams that want to interview Patrick Graham, but there was one other coming – um, who had not yet asked permission, who had d- did not y- as of yet have an opening. Um, but if they did, I knew that they were going to be in on Patrick Graham. Then um, the next day or a couple of days later, I mentioned it again. Don't forget what I said about Patrick Graham. And then that night um, or that late that afternoon, excuse me, uh, it comes across that the, the Seahawks wanted to interview Patrick Graham. Um, and now they're getting ready for a second one. He had a terrific, according to my source, terrific interview with them the first time. And they were really impressed. It's you, you nailed something there that I think has been the biggest question among fans this off season is which direction they'll go. And, and the speculation has been mostly that they would go offense for reasons that you mentioned. John Schneider talked about it in his season ending his press conference after Carol was let go. He talked about the, the challenges of going defense. And then if you have a good offensive coordinator, they get poached and you're constantly having to start over there. And Mike Holmgren has been outspoken the last couple of days as saying that he's recommended to John Schneider that they go offense. Of course you would expect Holmgren to say that, but, but I was concerned from the get go about this candidate pool. It's very, very shallow. I think, I think there are other off seasons in recent memory where there are more, more, more qualified offensive candidates. When you go from Ben Johnson, who seems to be hands down everybody's favorite, but who also seems to be on his way to Washington, by, but the smoke would indicate that that's where he's going. Then, then basically your second guy is Bobby Slowick, who's done it for one year. Brian Callahan was just hired by the Titans, and he's never called plays. He's been an offensive coordinator in title in Cincinnati. That's the candidate pool they were faced with. And so the defensive side of it I think is more intriguing. You have ex-head coaches there. You have some experience. Patrick Graham's never been a head coach at the NFL level, but what is it that, that you think is appealing about him as a guy that could run an organization? All right. So first of all, uh, I, I don't want to monopolize your time, but this, this, I'm going to give you a lengthy answer out of respect. You got all the time you need. All right. So Pete Carroll built a culture in that locker room. Absolutely. I know, I know a bunch of people, who have played for him and some on your roster currently. They don't like Pete Carroll. They love him. Yeah. Um, he doesn't always tell them what they want to hear. Um, he has gotten in guys' faces when they've asked for help in their marriages. And, you know, talked about you, you spend more time with your, pl- with your 
teammates than you do your family. What are you doing out partying and not investing in your family? They're the most important thing. Football isn't forever. Made some guys mad, but changed their lives. Um, you, you want to keep that culture if you're Seattle, unless, again, you're an owner or a GM that's standing on third base and think you hit the triple. Um, you want to keep that culture. So here's the thing about Patrick Graham. Every player on the Raiders team knows him. He And this was not him trying to get a job coming into the year. Nobody thought Josh McDaniels was going to be fired during the year. This is a guy that has personal relationship. He went to Yale. He is a genius. He's not smart. He's a savant. This guy's one of the smartest people you've ever met in your life on numerous subjects, not just football. He cares about people. And his guys don't play for him. They play with him. And there's a difference. Mm. Pete Carroll was that way. Yeah. Pete never put shoulder pads on for the Seahawks, but every player saw him as part of the team. Um, that's Patrick Graham. Universally respected, universally loved, universally loved. Patrick Graham is that guy, number one. Number two, his football acumen is through the roof. And when Josh McDaniels was let go and Antonio Pierce, who was his linebacker coach, was elevated to head coach, they were like, all right, we're turning you loose. Go, go, go do it. And you saw the Raiders under the leadership of Antonio Pierce when he let Patrick Graham grow, had the number one defense in the National Football League. Yeah, Two games, two games with no penalties. I think the Seahawks need um, a little bit more discipline. I think you guys at times hurt yourselves. Absolutely. And, and I think that that's important. You, you, I, I, I think that's critically important. So you're going to bring a guy that's going to come in extremely demanding, but you can be demanding if the players love you. Jim Tressel, the former Ohio state coach is a great friend of mine. And Jim used to always tell his players, you don't care how much I know till you know how much I care. And that's true. And so you bring in a Patrick Graham that's going to put a boot in their ass, but he's going to love them and hug them and say, you know, guys, listen, this is why we have to do it. One thing he does really well is he teaches the why. I'm not going to ask you to do this because you're an animal. Just do it. He takes time. He spends a lot of time in the classroom. So they spend a little bit less time on the field. They're not banging all the time. Players love that, so they'll stay healthy. But he, he tells the guys, I'm going to treat you like a multimillionaire professional. I'm going to, you better bring your notebooks. You better pay attention. I'm going to teach you like it's a classroom. Guys love that approach. I can't tell you how many guys are like, you know, it's the first time. Look at John Jenkins. John Jenkins is a guy they bring over, a multi-year vet yeah. from, from Miami. Okay, slowed down. Every year in Miami at the end, he was a vet because they pounded it. They bring him here. He played like an all-pro all 17 games because of the of the Patrick Graham approach. He's a very ethereal guy, so he would listen. And then he gets his older guys to teach the younger, so you build that culture. Um, that is something that I think Seattle has to address. Your lack of discipline, and I'm not talking about guys going out getting drunk or getting arrested with hookers. That's stupidity. That's stupidity. That's not a lack of discipline. And we're not talking about that. That's not an issue with this team. Yeah. But what we're talking about is dumb penalties, stupid penalties, um, pre-snap, you know, lining up in wrong spots. 
guys just doing things that are boneheaded. Well, that's a lack of discipline. And Patrick Graham believes that the best way to coach that is understand I, I, I control playing time. So you're going to make those mistakes. You're not going to play. If you're going to continue to make them, you're not going to be here. And I think that's important. And so you can have the culture that Pete built with a Patrick Graham, but with discipline. Now there's more. He's an excellent tactician. Again, I told you he went to Yale and he didn't go to Yale because he couldn't go anywhere else. He went to Yale because he was a great football player, but he knew, you know, what's my potential playing in the league, but yet what's a Yale degree. Yeah. He was, he was, he was, he was not intimidated by the academics and he flourished at Yale. He didn't just survive. He flourished. And remember, this isn't like going to a power five school where that, you know, Hey, you're going to get an education. No, that's Yale where they, we don't care if you play football, you're going to get an education first. Right. So he is able to scheme. Now this is something about him that your listeners probably don't know. He'll look at offenses and things that his team struggles with. And he'll look at things that he thinks, wow, that's cutting edge and pass that on to the offensive people. Hmm. So you say, well, he's not an offensive coach and you're right, but he's got an offensive mind. He thinks, okay, this is, you know, I'm, I'm one of the best and uh, this gives me trouble. He's able to teach things in a way that make it simple. And, and so I think that's another big one. If it's, You don't just want an offensive coach with no defensive background. You just don't want a defensive coach with no offensive background. This is a guy who's a defensive coach, yeah. but with the acumen, he understands offense. Okay, that's a point. Here's another one, and this is a big one. The Raiders this year were in cap hell because of previous mistakes prior to Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. They spent, they, they spent over a hundred million dollars on their offense and they spent 60 on the defense, but Chandler Jones never played. Right. So they, they had a $40 million defense, $40 million defense. And were the best one, the last nine games of the year, $40 million. That's like winning the Indy 500 in, 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 in a Malibu. Yeah. And most, most of that's going to Max Crosby. It's, it's interesting because after you and I spoke last night, you mentioned that he's great at teaching and developing and, and finding guys that are, you know, hidden gems, undrafted free agents, guys that were drafted late guys that have failed elsewhere. And I looked at the depth chart. I looked at the roster, tried to familiarize myself with it. And, and I was surprised how many names I didn't recognize. And I talked to a buddy of mine last night that knows the league really well. And I asked him, I said, name, name as many defensive starters on the Raiders roster as you can right now. And he couldn't get past Max Crosby. It was, it was fascinating to see. And then you see what they did on the field. You talk about him as a tactician. He runs, there's been a lot of talk here in Seattle the last couple of years about scheme, 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 um, for people who know it and people who don't, it's become a buzzword. And, and much of it is because Pete himself was outspoken about changes and tweaks that they made to the scheme that he wanted to get away from that base 4-3 that they ran so well for so many years and won a Super Bowl with and wanted to get more into the Vic Fangio 3-4 base because he thought it matched up better with the, the high-powered offenses that we face in the division and elsewhere around the league now. Graham appears to be more of a base 4-3 guy, plays a lot of nickel. You mentioned him as a tactician. Is he someone that tends to 
disguise things, uh, keep things simple that we'll recognize from week to week? Or is he one of those chameleon type defensive coaches where based on who he's playing that week, you might not know how he's going to come out and run his defense? Well, first of all, I want your listeners to know, and I know that you know this, I highly respect you or I wouldn't be on your podcast. So what I'm about to say is a polite disagreement, but it's not a disrespect of you. You don't cover this team every day like I do. Indeed. He is not a 4-3 guy. Hmm. He is not in anything. Um, They run as much 4-3 as 3-4. It all depends on personnel. He will talk about you can't be married to a scheme in the NFL where you don't know who's healthy from one week to the next. If you ask Patrick Graham, what is your scheme? He said he would tell you winning. Hmm. That's my scheme. So let's go back and use the Seahawks for an example. How many times have you seen them line up and try to run a defense or an offense that you're like, this isn't going to work because they were married to a scheme. Yeah. And every week with Patrick Graham, it didn't matter who was out. I mean, Max Crosby was playing at 60%. They'd have weeks where they, I mean, they're, they're bringing on guys off the street to play multiple defensive backs down, but you're still the number one defense in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, he is married to winning. Now, I need to say this to you because I think this is really, really important. It is very difficult to find a coordinator like Patrick Graham because you have to be incredibly intelligent to um, file all of this information in your brain to change on the fly. So I'm, I'm going to explain what I mean here it's easier as a coordinator to know the four, three or the three, four inside backwards, upside down in every direction. But when you're married to winning, so you're sitting there and it's a Sunday night and he's a film addict. And the next week you're playing the bears. And last, you know, you ran a three, four last week, but man, I think with the Bears and based on who I think is going to be injured, we're going to switch to a 4-3 or 5-2. Mm-hmm. He, he'll mix it up. I've seen him run some 4-4. And it just literally from week to week, you don't know what you're getting with Patrick Graham. He's very difficult. Um, I had a person who is a member of management at another team say to me, playing Patrick Graham is miserable because you can play him earlier in the year and at the end. Okay, the Raider defense that played the Broncos in Denver week one wasn't even the same defense that played the Denver Broncos. And someone in the organization was like, how do you do that? Yeah. I, know it's been, I know it's been 17 games, but there was just some huge changes. So, again, I would tell you if you want to know his scheme, his scheme is winning. But I would also tell you that – um, his ability to develop players, and I want to I want to get into this a little bit because I think it's sure. really important. Yeah, you, one of the things I like about your podcast is your people walk away having learned. Um, it well, isn't let's let's I cuss everybody that. out, drink a beer, and, and be funny. You're you don't come to your podcast if you don't want to learn. So I love audiences like that and hosts like that. So out of respect for you, I want to dig a little deeper. Go for it. I can name you numerous players. Okay. Malcolm Coons was a player that the last organization drafted out of Buffalo. 
He's a guy that can bend his body, but comes out of Buffalo really raw, raw. I'm a hunter and I like to eat my steaks raw, but I mean, <laughs> but we're talking the hide hasn't even been taken <laughs> off the, the, the body here. Yeah. Okay. Year one. I don't, I, I, I come from the school. I don't care where they play. I mean, I, I have less expectations of rookies. Now where mm-hmm. you're picked sets my level of expectation, but I don't have a lot of expectations for rookies year two. It's still getting your sea legs. Year three is the money year. That's when, if you get a player who can strongly contribute in year one, it's a gem. Year two, you're doing great. And then year three is when my expectations are. So Malcolm Coops comes in year two, which is under Patrick Graham. And he did not have a great year. He didn't get a lot of reps. There were people saying, oh, you got to get rid of Malcolm Coons. He sucks. He was the old regime. His rookie year was bad. You know, he didn't play a lot this year. Get rid of him. Yeah. Okay. Patrick Graham laughed at that. Patrick Graham thought people were ridiculous. We just don't throw guys away after two years. If you believed in them enough to draft them, you develop them. So they spent a lot of time. Now I'm going to tell you something that you didn't know. And I know you didn't know it because you just told me you didn't. Do you know at the end of the year, what the number one duo in the NFL for pressures was Max Crosby and Malcolm Coons. Malcolm Coons was a beast. Malcolm Coons was playing as good as any defensive end, including Max Crosby in the national football league at the last quarter to last third of last year. Mm. Now this year, year four is going to be awesome. He's going to play himself into a monster extension. Why Patrick Graham developed him. Nate Hobbs is a guy that's going to get a big deal for the Raiders, a corner. He developed him. There are several guys on this roster, multiple players, Trayvon Merrick developed them. Divine Diablo developed them. Uh, There are so many players on this roster, on this defense, that Patrick Graham single-handedly brought along. Now, why is that a big deal? I'll tell you why it is. The Seahawks have at times gotten in trouble and had to let people go because you didn't have the resources because of cap situations to pay guys. Mm -hmm. Well, when you're developing homegrown talents, when you're going and getting a UDFA, you're paying nothing for four years and you develop them. So at the end of year four, now it's time to pay them. You're able to, because you're bringing in another guy to develop in another position. You know, why is San Francisco as good as they are right now? Cause they're paying Purdy nothing. Yeah. If he, was, if he was a $40 million quarterback, there's multiple players on that team that aren't part of that roster. So he is, it's imperative in today's NFL when you know the quarterback of any value is going to get a minimum 40 and you know, you're going to want to develop guys to keep that you have a development mentality. I'm going to say this, look at every team remaining in playoff contention. There is one thing that every one of those teams has in common. They develop players. Mm -hmm. They develop players, every single one of them. You know, you could talk about everyone has a, High-level quarterback. San Francisco doesn't. Everyone has this or that. Okay. But the one thing they all have in common is they develop players. Winning organizations understand, if I'm going to be able to keep my stars that I develop, I can't go spend a ton of money on free agency unless it's mid-level guys. I'm going to develop who I have, 
And then when they develop, I'll be able to pay them. And then I'll bring in another group that I can develop. That's Patrick Graham. That is going to be music to the ears of uh, fans that that think that maybe the Seahawks haven't gotten enough out of their young defensive players the last couple of years. And uh, and also that are ready to move on from a couple of high-priced safeties that we have, which may uh, hamstring their their uh, their roster construction and, and salary distribution on that side of the ball as well. I have another question for you before I let you go. Um, busy day down there in Vegas, as you say, you expect uh, them to name a GM today. You mentioned something to no. me last night about an... I want oh, go ahead. to know I'm not reporting that. It's just okay. my expectation. Okay. Uh, always good to be ready. It's um, uh, you mentioned talking about another candidate, another very polarizing name here in Seattle, and that's Dan Quinn, a guy who, from the moment Pete Carroll was let go, all the speculation turned to him. Some people even felt like it was just going to be, um, it was just going to be a procession, and it was just going to be an easy handoff, and that John Schneider might go through the process, but ultimately it would be Dan Quinn's job. There are fans who love that idea because he's family, and they want a Super Bowl with him as defensive coordinator, and it's been assumed for a long time he would have his eye on this job. There are those who want to throw the baby, the bathwater, everything out, start fresh, no connections to Carroll at all, especially the way Quinn's defenses in Dallas finish the year. You have uh, you have a thought about what's going to happen with Dan Quinn, and you don't think he's going to be the guy here in Seattle. No, talking to people around the NFL, a lot of them think, especially after the new general manager hire in Carolina, that he'll probably end up in Carolina. Um, I want to say this really quick. Dan Quinn is very respected among the NFL. He's a man of character, and he's a good man. My issues with Dan Quinn have nothing to do with character or experience. Look at what he did with the defense in Dallas with all of those weapons. I'm, I'm sorry. There are just too many um, inexcusable. I mean, listen, you're going to lose games in this league. This isn't about, oh, he lost a game. Right. This is, this is looking back at how some of those games were. Um, some guys that I don't think got developed. That's a concern, I would think. Um, to me, there's just a lot of areas with Quinn. Um, if you're going to keep Quinn, then bring him in as the coach in waiting and you stay with Pete. But to me, I, I think he's going to probably end up in Carolina. Now, I'm not saying he won't be a Seahawk. Yeah. But if I'm a Seahawk fan, I'm like, say what? Okay, we got, why did we get rid of Pete? Yeah. Yeah, and that, that, that's the people that are against the, the Quinn idea. That's precisely their line of thinking. So we got rid of Pete because right. we felt like they underperformed. Then you go get the guy whose only job was on a defense with immense talent. Mm -hmm. Listen, I'm friends with a bunch of these Raiders defensive players. You, you're telling me that they even remotely – have the, the talent on the Raiders that they do with the, the Cowboys. Come on now. You'd be a fool to say that. Yeah. But the guy who had the best defense, Patrick Graham, developed guys, and it wasn't about stars. I mean, the, we call their defense Patrick Graham and his merry band of misfits. <laughs> Just a bunch of guys like that. that nobody wanted that, I mean, a $40 million defense. Now, I'd like all of your listeners to think about a $40 million defense. 
and they spanked, spanked people. They went into to Miami. I'm sorry, Miami. I'm trying to say it like you guys all said. Where I'm from, we call it Miami. <laughs> they went into Miami, shut that offense down in Miami. Yeah. If they had had an offense, then they would have won that game. Look at what they did to the Chiefs. He didn't have the personnel of the Broncos, but what did he had? He had a team, a developed team. He had a scheme where everybody's in the right spot. Everybody's prepared. Everybody's disciplined. To me, again, this is nothing to do with personal with Quinn. And I don't want the Raiders to lose Patrick Graham. I just root for good people. I hope he gets the job because he's a great man. He deserves that opportunity. But to me, if you go Quinn, why'd you get rid of Pete? Yeah. It, it, to me, that's just like, okay, robbing Peter to save to pay Paul. Right. Final question for you. Do you have any sense? It, it sure feels here like John Schneider's in no rush, that he's content to play this, this process mm-hmm. out. There's even some speculation that, that, you know, kind of the mystery here is, is around two candidates that haven't had a formal interview yet, Mike Vrabel and Mike McDonald, the two Mikes who have been, there have there's been a lot of heavy reporting that there is interest, but yet there's been no interview. And so that's there's some mystery around that. And that just might be tied to interview restrictions when it comes to McDonald and, and Schneider wanting to slow play this. But based on everything you've said and everything you've learned, would it shock you if they fall in love enough after their second interview with Graham that they would make a move before the process plays out? No. Um, word around the league is that Schneider. Now, listen, I don't want your listeners to think that I'm duplicitous. The Raiders made the mistake of naming the coach. Now they named the right one, mm-hmm. but they should have named the GM first. Um, if they don't hire champ Kelly, the Raiders have put their whole organization behind the eight ball. Cause the, the new GM could have been uh, working on personnel and draft and everything else. But with you guys, you got your GM in place. There is no rush. I can tell you this. I talked to four executives last night after I talked to you because I knew I was coming on your show and I wanted to be prepared. Um, all four had great respect for Quinn. Um, one of them thought that just based on what he was hearing, it may be Quinn. But all of them said that they were hearing Vrabel, that they thought Vrabel was the great home run hire. Hmm. So um, I, I None of them said they knew anything, so I have nothing to report to you. But I had several say to me, you know, I think Vrabel would be a great hire there. One guy who is a president of a team said to me, if I'm the president, I Vrabel is the guy. I know he knows your your roster inside and out. He knows your organization. Um, he said to me, I'd go hire Vrabel right now, right now. And um, he goes, what Mike brings is really what they need. Now, Mike doesn't develop talent like a Patrick Graham. But I just think what what's now, and he's not going to be the be the locker room guy like a Patrick Graham is, but um, he's got the experience. So I think it's it's going to be fascinating to watch. But around the league, yeah. no nobody really has a thumbprint on it other than Schneider's just taking his time and really wants to be meticulous. He doesn't have to worry about the draft. Although, you know, if you if you're going to pick a coach, you want to draft players that fit with their scheme. So that would tell me that um, he knows at least the kind of coach he wants. Yeah. So it's not putting him behind. But I, I, again, I've heard nothing but praise for Schneider. So I think you're probably in a pretty good spot there. And I think he's just taking his time, crossing his I's and dotting his T's. I would not be shocked if Patrick Graham got the job 
I don't think he's your front runner. Okay. But I think, I think he is legitimately in play. I saw some ignorant people. Oh, he's just a Rooney rule interview. That is so disrespectful. Listen, we all know that those go on, but better to be thought a fool than open your mouth and prove it. And when you say that about Patrick Graham, this is a guy when the Raiders brought him in, I said at the time, this is a guy that's going to be an NFL head coach. This was a brilliant hire. Um, If you say that about Patrick Graham, what you're literally saying to anyone that knows football is I'm stupid. Kick me. Because if you think he's just a Rooney rule interview, then you don't know how to read a resume or do any research. You're just a moron. Well, and also just completely overlooking the fact that three of the five reported candidates so far that the Seahawks have requested second interviews with our minority candidates. So um, great points. Uh, really, really appreciate your time, Hondo, and your insight um, and the kind words that you had. Uh, would love to have you back on the show later um, after things are settled. The Raiders and Seahawks are on each other's schedule this year, so we have that to look forward to as well. I appreciate your time today. And anytime you want me, you got me. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you very much. I really can't wait to hear what y'all have to say about what we learned today from Hondo Carpenter. Down below in the comments, how do you feel about Patrick Graham as a candidate after everything you learned today? How do you feel about his thoughts on what happened here and the decision to remove Pete Carroll? What about Mike Vrabel? Could it be that after all of this, all the smoke from a week ago when Peter King was basically going on every show in the country saying Mike Vrabel's a perfect perfect guy to land in Seattle. And we've heard it from other national reporters too. And now we hear it again from NFL executives, according to Carpenter. And yet there's been no reported formal interview yet. Or does it at the end of the day, is it Dan Quinn? As you start to connect all the dots though, if Hondo's right, if Quinn goes to Carolina, Belichick goes to Atlanta, Harbaugh with the Chargers, Callahan's already landed with the Titans, Ben Johnson, is he betrothed to the commanders already? Basically, it leaves the Seahawks with their pick of the litter, which is another reason why they're slow playing this. And could Mike McDonald of Baltimore still be in the mix, even though there hasn't been an interview yet? Still some mystery surrounding this search. If there is any breaking news, I'll react to it as soon as I can. Until then, follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever, so you stay in the conversation and up to date. Thank you so much for watching the show and listening until next time forever and always go Hawks.